0: asked uh, uh, Lydia Simpson and uh, Raphael Moreau and Phil Brown to speak to us this morning and they'll be speaking on different things as they felt uh, led by God and uh, so each one of them will come up and they'll share and uh, I just I I really want to commend all all three of these guys to you. Uh, uh, we, We don't draw names out of a hat, we kind of say yeah I really feel you've got something to share with us and I'm excited for them doing that. Good
1: morning everybody. I am really excited to be speaking to you all today in the theme of getting going in the new year, Um, and I'm going to be focusing on being confident in God's plan. Let's start by praying. Dear Lord God, I pray that you would open up our hearts this morning as we read your word. Would you inspire us and encourage us as we seek you? Amen. Amen. I love new beginnings. Uh, I love the new year as it heralds the start of a fresh year. It's a time to make new plans, to turn over a new page, to dream different dreams. It can be a time to draw a line under previous attempts and to start afresh with renewed motivation. And as someone who likes starting and initiating things, I love it. The media love it too. And everywhere we look at the moment, you'll see new year, new you. Uh, and newspaper articles, magazines, online—it's all encouraging us to be better this year, tidier, healthier, fitter. I had a quick look online to get some ideas, uh, of, of ideas I could give you uh, this this morning. Um, some of them were quite good. So I was looking at the Mirror's 21 best New Year's resolutions, uh, and uh, yeah, so some of them were kind of walk to work, be more charitable—sounded quite good. Number three was my favourite. Clean your shoes. (laughs) The caption under the picture did promise, polishing shoes leads to happiness. I kid you not. Funnily enough, for somebody who loves goal setting, I don't like making New Year's resolutions. Uh, For me, the term holds really negative connotations, with the assumption that any New Year's resolutions will have been broken by mid-January at the latest. And they kind of seem a bit meaningless and pointless as a result. I think there are many reasons why New Year's resolutions often fail. But I think fundamentally it's because a lot of the time they're very self-driven, self-motivated, self-powered and attempted in one's own strength. So it's little wonder that, that they fail when it's all about my plan for my life and my way of achieving it. However, it's not just worldly resolutions that can fall at the first hurdle. We as Christians can set great godly goals, but also be discouraged before February that we haven't managed to stick to the plan. And maybe you've already started the Bible reading plan and have already missed a day and you're feeling a bit discouraged already. It may be that your plans are to read your Bible more or to pray more or to get to small group more, and all of these plans are really great plans. But I want to encourage us this morning to have a slightly different way of looking at our plans and to know that our confidence is in God and in his plan and in his, his power for us to achieve our plans. I believe that making plans and setting goals is a really godly thing to do. Um, and, but I think we need to go about it in the right way. Our goals and plans help us to focus our efforts and our energies. They help us to get more done. And more importantly, they help us to get more of the right things done. But all of this has to happen in the context of knowing God's plan and purpose for our lives and trusting him to see our plans succeed. So now we're going to focus on a verse in Proverbs. So if you have a a Bible, um, please turn to Proverbs 16, verse 3. And it'll come up behind me as well. So let's read together. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. We're going to break this verse down phrase by phrase and see how we can take encouragement from it this year. So, firstly, commit to the Lord. This first point is fundamental to the way that we should make plans and set goals, not just for 2019, but for our whole lives. We need our plans to be committed, pledged, and promised to the Lord. The message translation of this verse says we need to put God in charge. And the Amplified uh, Amplified Bible states, commit your works to the Lord, submit and trust them to him. So we need to commit, submit, and trust all of our plans to God. Committing whatever we do to the Lord also means that we are doing everything for him. We are pledging whatever it is that we are doing to his name, saying that we are doing it for his glory, dedicating it to him. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So our plans and our goals should all begin with prayer, because this is how we commit them to the Lord. Prayer allows for dialogue with, with God, because we can ask him what goals he wants us to set. We can then ask him to bless them and to make them come into being. And by prayer, we submit our plans to God. And prayer somehow reinforces our purpose as well, because by having this dialogue with God, we're actually committing our plans and our purposes to him um, and, and making an agreement with him. Submitting our plans to God in prayer also makes sure that we have the correct motives for our plans. Proverbs 16, verse 2 um, says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Prayerfully submitting our plans to God allows us to ask him to reveal our true motives and to deal with any wrong motives that may have crept in. Now, to truly commit to something also means it needs to be written down. So I believe goals should be written down to cement them prayerfully into our lives. Now, you can do this wherever you like. Maybe you have a journal, maybe you like to write it in the back of your Bible, or maybe you just want to make a note on your phone. But what I would suggest is that you make goals and you write them down. By writing them down, we can refer back to them. We can be kept accountable to them. By ourselves or by somebody else, if you choose. But also, we can praise God when He helps us to achieve them because we can actually remember what they were in the first place. So, firstly, commit to the Lord. Secondly, whatever you do, God is concerned about all aspects of your life, no part escapes God's gaze. And this is such an encouragement because it means that God cares about each and every part of our lives, from the tiny to the terrific. There is no separating the spiritual parts of our lives from everything else. God is interested in every part, and whatever we do, it should be in worship to him. And this means that our goal setting should also cover all aspects of our lives, and it can be useful to set goals in different categories, such as career, finance, physical whatever it may be, in order to make sure that we do this. It's just as valid to set a goal to run a 10K as it is to plan to increase your giving by £20 a month. And making God-committed goals in all areas of your life will ensure that you see God tangibly work in all areas of your life. So moving on. Thirdly, and... This small word holds the verse together. It shows that one phrase is dependent on the other. If we commit to the Lord, whatever we do, he will establish our plans. So the second phrase is dependent on the first. God establishes our plans when we commit them to him. So it's so important that that is what we do. So fourthly, he will establish your plans. God will establish your plans. He will initiate them. He will bring them about. He will set them up on a firm basis and he will make them succeed. As the message translation puts it, what you've planned will take place. And this is amazing because the the strength of God's promise in this verse is, is great. It is a promise because God says he will do it. And the important thing to see is that it is God who brings our plans about, not ourselves. So the critical point to learn here is that when we trust our plans to God, it is he and not us who will bring them about. It is in God's strength and not in our own strength that our God-committed goals are achieved. So Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Philippians 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So it is through God's strength and not our own that great things are achieved. If we trust in our strength, then we will quickly fail as that New Year's resolution is broken by mid-January. But if we trust in God's great strength, we will succeed. If we commit our plans to God, His almighty strength will enable us to achieve them. And this is really exciting when we're making goals, because as we commit them to the Lord, we put our faith and our trust in him to see them achieved. It will also help us when we slip up or get discouraged or fall off the plan, because by relying on God's strength and not our own, we'll have the confidence to get back up again and to start again, and to restart our goal with fresh enthusiasm, because we can ask him for fresh strength from his never-ending strength. And we're not simply trying to stir up our own strength again, which we know failed just yesterday. And God promises to help us along the way. So Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So God will help you with each step along the way. So in conclusion, can I encourage you this morning to make some godly goals this January with the confidence that if you commit them to the Lord, he will establish them. So maybe your goal is to get closer to God. Can I encourage you to make this more specific and to commit it prayerfully to God? This might take the form of setting a goal to pray for 10 minutes every day or to read through the Bible plan that we've been hearing about, but make it a specific, a measurable, and a realistic goal. Pray about it, commit it to God, write it down to cement it as a goal in your life. And that means you can refer back to it when you need encouragement, and so you can rejoice when you achieve it through God's strength.
2: Amen. Amen. Okay. To continue from there, uh, getting ready for the new year, uh, we're going to be looking at building confidence in God in prayers through His Word. The fact that uh, confidence is very important in every aspect of our human relationship. In fact, all our relationships and transactions are based on confidence, and that confidence is either on the spoken word or a written document. So, for instance, we all go to work every day, knowing that at the end of the month we'll be paid, because there's a confidence that you have a contract. In the same way, you came this morning confident that the doors here will be open. You didn't come last week because the elders have said there is no service. So there was a confidence because of either a written document or a transaction or based on words that are spoken. In the same way, God wants us to be confident in him on the basis of his word. That word of God is incorruptible. We can rely upon it. It cannot fail. So in looking at this topic, I'm going to look at just three main points. The first one is building confidence in God through his word. Knowing that when you are praying according to God's way, how that is a very great anchor. Then we'll look at some practical application. So we we'll look at the first point, and basically we we'll get to look at the scriptures. Uh, the main scripture will be First John, uh, chapter five, verses fourteen to fifteen, to be uh, to appear on the screen. It says, "Now this is the confidence that we have in Him." And when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petition that we desire of him. This is the confidence we have in God. That when we ask anything according to his will. So I'm going to take that first part. The emphasis here is confidence in God. It is the confidence we have in God. But this confidence is based on his will. And we know that the word of God is the perfect will of God. So it's having confidence that when we pray, using God's word, it will work. We can rely upon it because God's word cannot be broken. God God cannot lie. So we can build confidence in our prayer when our prayers are based on the word of God. The fact that was that when God called Jeremiah uh, to be a prophet, he, was, he didn't really want to take up the job. He was saying, I'm too young. And God touched his mouth and put his word in his mouth. God said, what do you see? And he said, I see the rod of Adam of tree. And God replied, and God said, Jeremiah 1.12. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly. For I'm washing to see that my word is fulfilled. So just imagine God washing, scanning the whole earth for people who who are standing on this wall. God says, I'm washing to make sure... That my word is fulfilled. That means that when we pray, when we base our prayer this year, as you look into this year, you have plans, as Lydia have said, they are based on the word of God. God says, I'm watching to ensure that, that word is fulfilled. So we are just going to look at two examples. The first one is looking at Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, it will appear on the screen. It's about the about King Jehoshaphat he was faced with an army from three nations. The the the, Mobiles, the Ammonites, and the Munanites, they were coming from three directions against him. The Bible said he feared when he saw that three nations were coming against him. But what he did was he went to the temple, and he reminded God of how great he is, but he went now to remind God of his promise. And he says, I'll read it from here. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to them, to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it, uh, I included verse 80. And they dwell in it and build you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster come to us, so judgment pestilence, famine, and we stand before you in this temple, in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in affliction. You will hear and say, our God, will you not judge them, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes upon you. So Joshua had fear, but he went to the temple and reminded God that God, we occupy this land because of your promise to Abraham. We are His descent. This is your promise, so this now belongs to us. And reminded him of the prayer of Solomon when he dedicated the temple. That when we come here to this temple, I pray, you said you will hear and save us. Now, will you not judge them? Will you not fight for us? And he said. We don't have the mind, neither do we have what to do, but our eyes are for you. He declared that his confidence was in God. So maybe this year there will be situations where you said, I don't even have the resources to handle the situation. I don't have the power. I don't even know what to do. But let your confidence be in God on the basis of his word. And another example before I actually move on to the second point will be Or, um, taking from uh, Romans 4 20 to 21, talking about Abraham, he said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. That means Abraham did not waver, that means he did not throw the word of God, he was confident on the promise of God, on the word of God. So he wasn't considering how old he was or how old Sarah was. And the Bible says he gave glory to God. And see, it says, being fully persuaded that what God has promised, God will fulfill. Confidence in God. So those are some of the examples of of how people have built that confidence in God because of his word. In the same way, when we use the word of God for our prayer, we stand in great confidence because God cannot lie. In fact, when we pray according to God's word, we are confident he will hear us because our prayers become tools of co-working with God. You actually are establishing the purposes of God on the basis of his word. Examples will be Daniel in chapter 9. The Bible says he discovered that Israel by prophecy in Jeremiah will spend 70 years in captivity he set his face to pray on the basis of the promise of God and we all know what happened Nehemiah as well when he discovered that the walls were falling down and the caves were born he went to pray say God remember your servant Moses that you said that when we are scattered all over the world and we pray to you you will answer so people who use the word of God to actually stand before God Confident that God, you will answer, and God cannot fail. And when we do that, we actually become co-workers with God. We are praying the mind of God. We are bringing the purposes of God to pass. Now we we'll go to the second point, which is chapter 15, uh, the verse 15 of the, uh, the, the, the scripture we started. We says, if we know that he hears us, then we have the petition that we have asked for. That word, if, is very important, if we know. So God wants us to know, to be confident that when we pray according to his word, he will actually hear us. And that, there's a confidence, there's an assurance that comes by saying, I know that God will not fail. Why is that important? It becomes a very great echo. Why is that important? It is important because the sanctity of God's word is not always equivalent to suddenness. I will say that again. The sanctity of God's word is not always equivalent to suddenness. That means when God gives you a promise today, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. A very good example would be Elijah. He said, go and show yourself to Ahab, and I will pour rain. And we all know the story. Elijah fought with the prophets of Baal, and then he went to pray. He prayed, and he sent the servant out seven times. It was many times the servant came He said, the servant replied, there is nothing. And the he said, go again. The prophet said, go again. So I want to encourage you this year. What is last year saying to you? Maybe last year is saying there is no hope. Maybe last year is saying there is nothing going on. There is nothing. I will echo the word of Elijah, go again. Stand upon the word of God. Just to give a very brief uh, illustration, one of the greatest battles I had to stand upon was seeing my father become a Christian. It took 11 years. It was important for me because he was actually in idol worship. He had a shrine. So, it, so the first time I did, the first thing I did becoming a Christian was to write him a letter, I'm not a Christian. And that, so that, that started the conflict. And of course, I prayed and spoke to him. Every time I spoke to him, he said, it's too late. That was always his word, it is too late. So I, t- I remember one day when I actually prayed, took some time to fast and I thought this, this must be the day. So I sat with him of course, I preached all that I could preach. When I finished he just looked at me and said, it is too late. And I went away almost so discouraged but as I was going away, God said, my ways are not, my ways are not your ways. And it eventually happened that he got sick, and through the prayer, he got healed. And that was how God turned his love around. So it's just to encourage you, God may have spoken a word to you. You're standing for the salvation of your family. God's word says that he wants every man saved. We can stand upon his word. The last bit of the talk is practical application. How do we actually apply this in practice? John chapter 15, verse 17. It says, if you abide if you abide in me and my words and abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. The key word here is abide. The word of God abides in us. It means a deliberate action. We take some time to actually meditate upon scripture, to actually look at the word of God, to actually make it uh, part of what we think about, influence our thinking, to make part of our prayer. And usually I will say, find scripture that speak the mind of God about your situation, that speak to your situation. And it's advisable not just to look for one verse. The Bible says, in the matter of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. So look for two to three scriptures that speak the mind of God to you, that speak the mind of God to King Church. And when those words abide in our heart, when we take them to God in prayer, God says he will answer. In that case, when we begin to pray according to the word of God, we become co workers with God as we pray His mind. It means that the prophecies that God has given to you as an individual or given to us as a church no longer will reside in a piece of paper, they will reside in your heart. That in your prayer, you bring these words, you bring this prophecy before God and say, God, this is your word. That we can make, uh, we can pray and stand before God. On the basis of his word. It means when we begin to pray according to God's word, we become co workers for God, for King's church, and also for your life. It means reaching out to others to pray for them for healing and the touch of God using the word of God. It means, for instance, we can pray for more manifestation of the Spirit of God because God has said, convert endlessly the best gifts. God says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. On the basis of this word, we as a church can say, God, we want more of your spirit. We can remind God we can bring this word before him. And when we do so, God will answer. We can pray for our city because the word of God declares that he wants all mercy. That is enough for us to stand upon and bring this before God. And I will end up with this last scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty. It says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and Amen. To the glory of God through us. At times you might look at some promises and you may feel I don't qualify. I have felt so many times, but thank God we don't qualify. Our qualification is in Jesus. The word of God is here and amen in Christ. That is our confidence. But if you look at the verse, God wants want us to use these promises and bring glory to his name it's to the glory of god but god wants to use us it's through us so this year as an individual and as a church let us find scriptures let us find scripture that speak the mind of god to us as a church the prophecies god has spoken to us as individuals as prophecy let them not reside no longer in a piece of paper let them reside in your heart bring them before god and god says he will answer, because he cannot lie. Praise God. Good morning. Again. Excellent. When,
0: when I was asked to talk, and we prayerfully considered, um, I just kept coming back to the Great Commission, and that's been put on my heart today. Um, and I know there's a, there's a huge amount in there to unpack, so really we're going to hone in on, on just one thing this morning, which is discipleship and making disciples. Um, So we're going to read the passage from Matthew 28. um, And this is what Jesus said to his disciples after his death and resurrection and before he ascended to heaven. So this has punctuated Jesus' life on earth. This is the last thing he said before his ascension. And it says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is the last verses of the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And what an encouragement it is to us that all authority on heaven and earth is given to Jesus. But not just that. He is with us always. So actually when we go forward, when we go about, we're not doing it in our own strength, but we're doing it in Jesus' strength And in Jesus' name. And that is so important for us to grasp now. Let's not do it by ourselves. And Jesus' great commission was for us to make disciples of all nations. Um, And I think that starts here, I think, in your personal lives. And my my aim this morning isn't to make people feel condemned if you're not in a discipler-disciplee relationship or situation at the moment. Um, But I really want you to feel released that this is something that you can do and this is something that you can attain and this is something that you can grow in God in. And this is something that that Lizzie, my wife, and I, we're, we're genuinely passionate about discipleship, encouraging those around us to be more in love with Jesus. And as we do that, we are also encouraged ourselves to be more in love with Jesus. And it's a command from Jesus. It says, this is Jesus' spoken word. And we do it for his glory and to see his name lifted high. We do it in his strength and his authority. And the great thing is that when Jesus commissions us to do something, he doesn't just say it and then leave us to our own devices. Here we read, he is with us always. He is with us always. So I, I know that um, that it feels like often we're, we're squeezed for time, but actually God's called us to this, and he will make a way for us to be able to do this. And that we've found that as our heart for God grows, actually our heart for people, grows as well. And the more um, the more we love God grows, uh, our capacity to love others grows alongside that as well. Um, and so I just want to press on. and, and um, yeah, I don't want this to sound discouraging this morning. I want it to be very positive of something that we can do. Because I know that life can be overwhelming, busy and exhausting. Um, and it's easy to, to actually, in those situations, just pull back the drawbridge and, and close ourselves in. Actually, we, we live in a world where we don't necessarily need to go out and have interaction with anyone. I do my Tesco shop from my sofa. I do almost all of my shopping from my sofa. <laughs> I, I've got a remote for everything. Like I don't need to move an inch. Um, but we're not called to live a life of isolation. Actually, we see through Jesus' life and through this commission um, we're made to exist in our community and to one another with each other and to be alongside each other, to encourage each other. In fact, even at the very start of the Bible, we see in Genesis, God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so um, he made woman and lots of animals. And we live in community. Um, so Jesus is our model for discipleship. He loved being with people. He shared meals with people. He would travel from city to town to city with people. He told stories. um, And the word says that fullness of life is found in Jesus. Um, So I imagine he was quite fun to be around as well. Um, And it's just an honor that we get to share this Jesus with those around us as well. And so I believe that one of the keys to growing in relationship with God is through discipleship and one another in with each other as well. Um just as a as a quick aside, when we talk about discipleship, um there, there's I guess there's many facets to this. Um I think we can we can see it as adding new numbers into our church community. Um I think when we say the word we can think of structured times. Seven o'clock every Monday night, I'm gonna meet with you and go through this and do that. And there will be seasons when that is appropriate. Um if there's particular struggles or hardships you're going through that you want to pray through with someone. Um but actually, what I'd like to focus on this morning is just doing life together and, and how how we can do that and, and grow together in that. Um, so I, I like to call it lifelong discipling um, because it's not just a, a set meeting every week. It's, it's what we do together. Um, so we invite people into our homes and just share lives with each other. Um, and also as a caveat, I say there's no, there's no one size fits all to this. Actually, there's... How many hundred people in this room and there'll be however many hundred ways of doing it differently so it's going to look different for every individual as well um, so we're going to just look at some some practical things that will kind of point us in the right direction um, and, and how you can work these out in your life as well um, so even in our own home there's probably three different ways that we disciple um, lizzie is around during the day so she's able to invite people into the house um, and just do life with each other I, I work long hours uh, for me it's easier to, to text people and to have lunches and, and that's how it probably works out better for me and then when we're together we do it together and we meet with individuals or couples or groups um, and we each bring our own giftings and our own ways of communicating um, so actually even within our household there's, there's many different ways that, that we do it and apply it um, but really, at the heart of it, discipleship is about living alongside one another and encouraging each other to grow in God. And um, who doesn't want that, eh? Right, so there, I'm going to focus on four practical ways um, to make discipleship work for you. So the first one is to make time in your diary. Um, so we have quite a, a structured diary, um, but also a loose diary. I know, it's like an oxymoron. Um, So first and foremost, we put um, time for our family and together, which includes our our rest days as well. And secondly, we look for opportunities to celebrate with people. This could be birthdays, um, holidays, sports and events. We've got the Super Bowl coming up soon, and so we're going to be celebrating that with real vigor. Um, And the rest of our time is actually we we leave it open so that we can meet with people and gather with people um, so that we're not so tethered to such a strict routine that we can't Make time for people as well. Um, and so we, we actually, even just yesterday, we had nothing planned. Um, and in the morning, we ended up having a play date with 10 or 12 of Caleb's school friends at the local park in the morning. Um, and then in the afternoon, a few guys around from King's um, and just enjoyed a meal with them together. Um, and, and it was great. We just left that room in a diary. And in fact, we feel like our lives were enriched by spending time with people um, because we made the space for it. So the first one, make time in your diary. The second one, I'd say uh, life isn't perfect and meeting with people doesn't have to be perfect. Life can be and is messy especially with four young children. I, I thought at this stage I wouldn't be reminding kids to flush toilets, but we do. Um, but we have, so we have a messy house sometimes. But actually inviting people into that kind of warts and all environment is an excellent way of, of doing life together. So we try to be real with one another and I feel like in doing that, people come into our lives and they're, they're real with us as well, um, which is just so key for communicating and living life together. Um, so we do real life rather than hiding away our unpolished edges, and there are many of them. Um, and practically, it helps us to fix our eyes on Jesus as well and on the person that we're meeting with. Actually, if, if my focus is on how tidy is my home and my dish is washed, then actually the heart of what we're doing by meeting with people um, kind of goes out the window um, and we don't focus on the right things. Um, and Jesus as well. He was, he was and is interested in every part of our lives. Not just the clean and polished. But actually, he, the messy parts as well. He knows and he loves. Um, so, life isn't perfect. Don't try and make it perfect. Because it's never going to be. Um, three, make it work for you. We've already said... Everyone's going to have a different way of discipling and meeting and gathering with people. Um, So at the life stage that we're in personally, it's easier to invite people into the family home and kind of just do life with them. And we get interrupted by crying children and nappy changes and making dinner and doing laundry. But actually, there's there's a sense there of of people see you at your most vulnerable as well. (laughs) And it keeps us sharp as well. so we find that, that, that living in community brings a, a depth of relationship that you don't get necessarily by just meeting at a set time in an evening. Um, so that, that's the way it works for us right now. Um, and it exposes the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I've made parenting choices that I regret in front of many people. <laughs> um, but we learn from them. And actually, I think people seeing us make those mistakes hopefully will We'll encourage those guys as well when they make mistakes um, so there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do it and I think when we didn't have kids discipleship looked different, when we had really young kids, discipleship looked different and it looks different now and it will look different when our kids are slightly older as well so it's a constantly evolving way of doing things, So there's no right or wrong way and the fourth one is just be intentional oh, it's got a number next to it um, so, sorry. So, so, seek people, seek people intentionally to spend time with. Actually, pray about it. Seek God's wisdom. Who is He calling you to spend time with? Because He's commanded us to do it, so we should be doing it. I'd say, firstly, if you're looking for someone to disciple you, look for someone who has a faith that you respect someone that you admire their walk with God and feel like um, you'd like to emulate something of that as well and and that they can encourage you in your walk with God. Um, Look at those for a life stage or stages ahead of you. So for us, we might look to people who have got slightly older children than us. Um, And we look for people who we can gather wisdom from. We're shameless in when we meet with people. We're like... Right, tell me how better to do this, and tell me how you've done this. Like we will go in with an agenda, and we will make our agenda clear. <laughs> um, so look for those um, who you can gather wisdom from. Um, equally, i say, look for those that are in a similar life stage to you as well. Actually, It's, it's incredible how we can go through things at a similar stage to other people, Um, So other people with young kids go through the same things as us at the same time. And as you do in life with them, we can encourage each other through it, pray through it together, um, kind of brainstorm how best to do it as well. Um, So look at people who are in a similar life stage to you um, and approach people. I think it can be intimidating slash awkward to approach someone about this. And I think we've all seen kind of the Sunday morning hover when someone's talking and you want to talk to them, and you're like, no, 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 they're just breathing. They're not finished yet. And that can be a really awkward moment. Um, it was actually, if we, we found that we've had 100% positive experiences when we have said to someone, actually, God's put you on my heart. I'd love to meet with you and pray with you. And people generally don't react negatively to that. And it doesn't have to be a fully formed eight-step plan of how we're going to get from A to B. Actually, Just start a conversation. That's what I'd encourage you to do. And I'd say be open to being discipled as well. And if you are being discipled, just practically be respectful of people's time, I'd say. Be humble. Be teachable. Actually, we find the people who we... um, grow most with are people who, who turn up <laughs> and people who uh, are invested as well. Um, so I say if you're going to commit to it um, then just turning up even on your bad days, even on your worst days um, will really grow you. So uh, kind of to, to come to an end I would encourage you to be prayerfully considering and looking out for those who, that you can enter into community and discipleship with. Um, people that you can encourage, to pray with, worship with and grow with. So who is God putting on your heart? Who do you see potential in? Whose life could you add richness to in order to draw them and yourself into a closer relationship with God? So I'm just going to, I want to end by reading the Great Commission again. Actually, uh, it it excites me. I think it's, um, yeah, it makes my my hairs stand on end because it is so important. And it says that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.
2: Isn't that great? We've been served so well uh, by those three guys. Why don't we pray together just to end our time.